Well, if you have your Bible with you, you can flip to almost the very back of the book. Uh, we're looking at 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. There's three little Johns tucked at the very end of the Bible. And we're working our way through 1 John. And so we'll, this is our third sermon on this little book, and we're working our way. We're not going too fast, but that's okay, because we don't have a deadline. We can stay in this book as long as we want. We might just take a break for Advent when, when December rolls around. Remember the first week, we looked at how, the, how John was writing to this community, this church that had been through a nasty split. And so he, he, was, he was telling the people about, uh, you know, kind of how to, how to work through this split. And so we need to keep in mind when we read this book that it's, always, it's being written to of people that have been through a nasty separation uh, and they're kind of trying to deal with how to make sense of this. And so John is always going back and forth between addressing the people that left and addressing the people that stayed, kind of wearing his pastor hat to the people that stayed and trying to give them comfort and then pulling on his prophet hat as he's talking to the people that left and saying, this what you did is, is not right. And so he goes back and forth on that. We saw last week in the first couple verses that we looked at um, how he talked about that with sin. So last week we looked at sin, and, and John didn't really look at the specifics of defining what sin is, but he went back and forth about how, how Christians are supposed to deal with sin and not deal with sin. Uh, he said, you know, uh, to claim to have fellowship with God while, while walking in darkness is a lie. To claim to be without sin is, is self-deception. Um, and he says, if you claim to not have sin, you make God a liar. And so last week he's saying, you know, all these people that are saying, I don't sin, I'm doing this, I've got it together, they're, they're, they're lying and they're making God out to be a liar. And then he says the, the way that Christians deal with sin is, yes, to acknowledge that we aren't perfect, to acknowledge that, that we, we do sin, we have sinned, and that Jesus is, is our, the person that we go to, that we confess to, and the, the famous verse that comes out of that section that we've probably heard many times that you know, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And so that's where that, that, that Christian habit of confession, not just one time, but a routine of confessing to God of, of our sins and trusting in His grace and forgiveness. Now this week, the, the verses we're looking at, uh, verses 3 to 11, gets into a little bit more of, of what some of that sin and proper ethical behavior is. doesn't go into a lot of detail, but we get into some of it. So let's start. I'm, I'm reading um, from the ESV here, and some of the words and the translations are important, so I'll highlight some of these things. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Again, this is, see him kind of talking to the people of the left, and it's similar language to what we looked at last, or two weeks ago. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. So here we're getting into kind of the same language that he used last week of pointing out people, some people are lying, and that well, the way that they're living is not, in, in not having integrity. But he gets into a little more detail here. He's talking about whoever is in him, whoever is walking with integrity, who is walking in truth, is following the commandments. It's following the commandments that Jesus gave, that God gave throughout the scriptural tradition. Uh, one of the, the commentaries that I've been reading for, for this study had this quote, and I thought it was, it was worth repeating. Solid evidence of one's knowledge of the, 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 the divine 
is not found in one's grasp of abstract theology or philosophy, but rather in the daily obedience to Christ's commandments. Let me say that again. Solid evidence of one's knowledge of the divine is not found in one's grasp of abstract theology or philosophy. So he's saying we don't need to have a, a college degree or a master's degree or a doctoral degree in philosophy or theology to understand God, to be a follower of God. What's more important is the daily obedience to Christ's commandments. And that's, this is a sentiment that, that John is writing here that this, this author picked up on, but it's also something that Jesus emphasized quite a bit. In Luke chapter 8, this is what Jesus said when he was, these, there's a crowd gathering around him, and it says, Now Jesus' mothers and mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get to him because of the crowd. And someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And he replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And that emphasis of doing the commandments, of putting it into practice. Matthew 7.21, Jesus says something very similar. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, Jesus is, is, is noticing the same thing that John is noticing, that sometimes there's a difference between what people say and what they do. And Jesus is saying, the people that are doing my commandments, that are following me, those are the ones uh, that are my followers. The Apostle Paul picks up on this as well. In Romans chapter 2, he says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And then James, who wrote another small book towards the end of the Bible, picked up on a similar theme. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, and this is the most blunt and succinct version of all the things I've just read, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Very simple. Do what it says. Don't just listen and deceive. Do what it says. Now I suspect in, in hearing all these scriptures thrown at you and what we're studying, some of you in the room may squirm a little bit. And some of that might be a good healthy squirming, right? That might be a conviction that maybe God is calling me and calling you and calling us to a further step of obedience, to a deeper obedience. And that's what God is calling us, all of us to. And so the Holy Spirit may be working on you a little bit and nudging you and say, this is for you. You need, you need to take that step of obedience. There may also be in the room another type of squirming that's, I would say, less healthy, maybe not Holy Spirit-oriented, but a squirm that maybe this is taking you back to some, some memories that you prefer not to visit, maybe previous religious experiences or different churches or this church in the past. Who knows? But what this is getting really close to is something that we try to avoid and something that we probably all have baggage with, and that is legalism. So legalism is a term that, uh, that can mean different things. Uh, it's defined as excessive adherence to a law or formula. And a little bit more spiritual definition is dependence on moral law rather than on personal religious faith. So we have within our, our personal Mennonite tradition and also with the scope of the 2,000 years of Christianity, this balance that we've always been striking of, we want to do, we want to be obedient, we want to follow these scriptures, we want to follow the words of James, of John, of the Apostle Paul, of Jesus himself, and not just be hearers of the word, but we want to do what it says. But we also know that this excessive adherence to a law or formula is not what Christ is calling us to. And so we have, how do we make sense of this? And we look at this, this verse in chapter 
2 of John. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. Now taking out of context, we could preach a whole sermon here this morning and really hammer down on legalism, right? We could, I could just sit up here and bang on this pulpit and say, you must do the commandments. You must follow the rules and the laws and all the things that Jesus said and all the things that are in Old Testament. That's clearly what Jesus wants to do is what John is admonishing us to do, right? And that's why it's so important to study the context of a book. That's why it's important for us to study John and work our way all the way through and not just pull out one little verse here. Because if we pull out this little verse or this little passage, we could preach a great legalistic sermon. But that's not what John is getting at here. It's not all about legalism. It's not about legalism at all. It's about something deeper. And as you read the text a little bit further, you can see that this comes out. And it comes out pretty clearly. And it comes out with one word that I want to... Uh, highlight here. And again, if you're looking at the NIV, this word is translated a little bit differently. But the word is abide. Let me read it from the ESV. Chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, I'm going to go start in verse 5. By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. So that word abide there. That's an anti-legalistic word. Right? So if you're abiding, you can't do that legalistically. What, is it, what does it mean to abide? This is, a, this is an important word for us to know. And we'll probably look at this as long as we stay in the book of John and, and studying the John 1, 2, or 3 John. We'll, we'll hear a lot about abiding because the majority of all the times that the word abide is used in Scripture, it comes from the, from the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Uh, so that John loves this word. He loves talking about abiding in Christ. And the verse and first John that we're looking at, abide is abide appears twenty-four different times. So, right? so this this is this is important that we understand. This is something that John is really trying to get his followers and for us to understand. A couple ways you could translate abide. It's not a, it's not a word that we use a lot in our modern vernacular. It means to remain. If you abide, you remain. It could also mean to dwell. So that's where kind of, you've heard of, like another word we don't use a lot, it's abode. You know, my abode. You abide in your abode. That means to dwell. It's where you live. Where you abide is where you live. It's where you spend your time. And another way to translate it is to rest. So it could mean to, to remain, to dwell, or live, or to rest. It brings to mind that, that verse in Acts, for in him we live and move and have our being. That, that's a description of abiding. We do all those things in Christ. A description that uh, the, the translator I've been looking at uses, abiding is an intimate and reciprocal relationship between the human and God. An intimate and reciprocal relationship. And that's where you can look through scriptures, especially we can look through all of Jesus' ministry. We see this, this intimate and reciprocal idea come out a lot. You know, Jesus refers to God as the Father. He tells a lot of parables where God is the Father. And families abide together. They have that intimate, reciprocal relationship. That is an abiding relationship. Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd. You know, what's the famous um, Christmas passage? What were the shepherds doing with their flocks at night? They were abiding. I'm going to... Well, I think my sweater is, is hidden. Uh, yeah, abiding with their flocks at night. And that's what Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. You abide with me. 
And what you heard in the Jeremiah text this morning when we read the Old Testament, I don't know if you picked up on that, God, God said during the covenant, covenant, the Old Covenant, I was the people's husband. Right? So God as our husband. Uh, that love, the love between a husband and wife is abiding love. You remain, you dwell, and you live. And also Jesus refers to himself as a friend. You know, who are your best friends? And maybe, maybe best friends aren't the ones that are most uh, energetic or the funniest people at the party or whatever. Your best friends are the ones that abide, that stick with you, that remain no matter what you're going through. These are the relationships that define abiding. And this is what Jesus does whenever he refers to himself or God. He uses these type of analogies and metaphors because they're about abiding. They're not about, they're not about law. They're not about following the rules. They're not about X, Y, and Z. They're about that remaining, dwelling, persistent love. And that's what John is saying in this text. He says, those who abide in me will look like this. And that's what this text is saying. It's not saying, do this, follow these commandments, and then you will be one of God's chosen. And he's saying, if you abide in God, these things will result. Following the commandments, loving your brothers and sisters, these are the results of abiding with God. Legalism says, do these things, and you can work your way into God's family. Whereas scripture says, and Jesus says over and over again, you're a part of my family. I have died so you can enter into the kingdom. And as you abide with me, these things will grow in your life. Just like fruit grows on a vine. That's the, the scripture that we started the service with, is, is being attached to the vine. Legalism says, try to manufacture some fruit. You know, get some wax and get some paint and get some uh, molds and whatever and, and make some nice, pretty-looking fruit and set it on the middle of the table. It might look like beautiful fruit, but if you try to bite into it, you're not going to get much nourishment out of it. Whereas abiding says, water the plant, grow the seed that was planted in you that is faith. And as you nurture that and as you grow, fruit will be born out of that. You can't manufacture it. And likewise, you can't manufacture obedience to the covenant, obedience to the commandments. John is calling us to obedience, but he's saying obedience starts with an abiding in Christ. If we abide and we remain and we dwell and our spirit is nurtured and fruit grows, and that fruit looks like obedience, it looks like following the commandments. And what John is saying is, if those type of things aren't growing in people, those are the people that left you. Because the wrong type of fruit was growing. They're gone. Right? They're, they've, they've proven themselves liars. They've proven that they've deceived themselves. And they've proven uh, everything. Their fruit is showing everything. They're not being obedient. They're not following the commandments. Let's move on a little bit further. Verse 7, we're going all the way to verse 11. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know what he is doing because his darkness has blinded his eyes. All right. Well, I'm going to put this back on because I need some volunteers. Keeping Lowell on his toes back there. Uh, 
Caden, you want to come up here? All right. And uh, Thayer, are you back there? Thayer, you want to jump up here? All right, so these guys are going to demonstrate. One of you gets a blindfold. You want it? We'll give it to Thayer. All right, so turn around there. We're going to tie this on you. Can you see? All right. Thayer looks pretty blindfolded. All right, so we'll, we'll turn you so you're facing the... Uh, all right, Scott Zimmerly, why don't you stand up? And uh, Keith, why don't you stand up? Just, you just, just stay there. All right. Thayer, you know who Keith is, right? Trying to think. You know who Scott is? You know who Scott is? Okay. And do you know who Keith is? Okay. So Thayer, your job is to go find Scott and hug him, okay? He needs a hug. He's kind of sad looking. But you've got to leave your blindfold on. And you can go give Keith a handshake. All right. See how they do. You can hug him, Caden. There, Caden already did it. You oh, you can't see. You actually might get lucky. Scott's helping you out. <laughs> All right, you can take your blindfold off there. You can go back. Thanks. Good job. Now, if there, if Scott wasn't out in the hallway, you think you could have found him? Well, thank you, Caden and Thayer, for that demonstration. That's verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness. And he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John is, is saying again, remember, he's talking to a divided community. And he's saying, these people that have left you are in darkness. They can't make right choices because they're not abiding in Christ. But he's saying those who abide... Are, are following the commandments. And so to end here, I just want to say the commandments. John is talking a lot about obedience. He's talking about following the commandments. And that can seem overwhelming, right? If we think about, is he talking about the Ten Commandments? Is he talking about everything in Leviticus? Is he talking about everything in the Sermon on the Mount? John makes it pretty simple. He's saying that those who follow the commandments love their sisters and brothers. And those who aren't following the commandments hate their sisters and brothers. For John, it's very, very simple. It all boils down to, are you loving your sisters and brothers? Are you loving the people in your community? And John is, is actually, in this text, making it easier than, than Jesus, because Jesus says you need to love your enemies. John doesn't go that far in this text. It doesn't mean we're off the hook on loving our enemies. But that's, that's not specifically what John is saying. John is saying, if you're growing Christ's fruit in you, if you're abiding in Christ, you will love people. That's about as simple as it can get. Don't worry about all the Leviticus. Don't worry about all the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about everything Jesus said. I mean, we don't want to disregard that. But what John is boiling it all down to is, it comes down to love. If you are abiding in Christ, the fruit will be evident in you, and that is loving others. Paul in Galatians sums it up like this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
for John, it's very black and white. And for us, it's black and white as well. Is the fruit that is growing in our lives, is, is it a natural impulse for us to be loving other people? Because the more we abide in Christ, the more that we, we, we nurture that faith that has been planted in us, the more natural of an impulse it will be for us to love others. Now, don't, 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 don't you know, freak out if you're like, oh, this person's so hard to love. It doesn't, it's not going to be easy for everybody. But that fruit that John is looking for is love. And that darkness is hate. Can we be a people that demonstrate that? I think it's sorely, sorely needed. Because on November 8th, there's not going to be much love demonstrated. Right? We're not going to see that in a couple days during the election. But can we see that here? And that's what John is. John is writing to a community. He's not writing to all of the Roman Empire. He's writing to a community. He's saying, if you are walking in light, if you're abiding in Christ, there will be love amongst the community. Let's pray. God, may we all individually take that um, approach of abiding with you. Lord, as maybe many of us like me and others have been have drilled that, that legalistic idea into our heads of thinking that we need to do X, we need to do Y, we need to uh, behave. But Lord, you keep pointing us back to yourself with, with pictures of a loving Father. You point us back to yourself with a picture of a caring shepherd that protects us. You point us back to yourself with the, the beautiful imagery of a husband and wife loving each other. You point us back to yourself saying that you're the friend that won't abandon us. And Lord, may we abide in those images. May we abide in your presence and so that we may grow in you and look to more and more resemble you in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.